Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm an urban explorer, along with a group of my friends, whose names I'll be changing for the purpose of this story. As you can imagine, with the pandemic and lockdowns, we haven't gotten to do much during the past year, but after much waiting, finally the time came when we could go out and get going once again. So one day, I found myself walking at the crack of dawn to the local train station. I was there to meet up with George. George was the oldest of the four of us. He also acted that way. He gave off an older brother kind of air of protectiveness, especially around me. He was trying to say something. I could tell that as much, but I couldn't figure out what it was. I can't tell what you're saying with your face mask still on, I told him. Technically, we were still required to wear masks, but people were rather lax with this rule now, and George smiled as he lowered his. I just wanted to say hi. It's been a while, George said. He then paused. How did your uh, meeting with the doctor go? I shrugged. (laughs) Nothing can be done, apparently. I met with another specialist last week, and he said the same thing. Sorry it turned out like that, George said with a morose expression that lit up as he saw someone approaching behind me. I turned around to see Jack. If George was the responsible older brother, then Jack was the mischievous younger one. He'd been attempting to sneak up on me, but now that he'd been caught, he was trying to act normal. It wasn't working. Jack moved in front so I could see the both of them together. A year later and you're still up to the same tricks? George said with a frown. Hey, she can take a joke, can't she? Jack said with a sheepish grin. You know, with all she's going through... Do you really need to do something like that? George asked. George was two inches taller than Jack. His black hair had streaks of white in it, a testament to how many more years of experience he had than the rest of us. All of it resulted in a very stern face, even when he wasn't trying to be serious. Jack's face was a lot more jovial, but it withered under George's gaze. Sorry about that, Jack said, apologizing to me. It's no big deal, I told him. I kind of preferred if he kept acting the same way around me as he did before. So, is Mary going to be late as usual? Mary was the other girl in our group. She tended to arrive late as she was either sleeping in or putting on her makeup. She was mostly into exploring because she liked uploading pictures to her Instagram account and blogging about them. I found her to be pretty easy to get along with, even though she tended to be a bit of a drama queen sometimes. Jack took the time to smoke a cigarette, which annoyed the both of us. Sorry, Jack explained. He'd quit seven years ago. I got a bit stressed with everything, and before I knew it, I started smoking again. 
Yeah, real stupid, I know, but I've been trying to quit. It's been hard, though. Mary arrived 15 minutes later, barely in time for us to catch the train. She has strawberry blonde hair and was quite pretty, explaining her Instagram popularity. She was dressed a bit lavishly for what we were doing, probably hoping to look good in the pictures she'd take, but it was nothing too impractical for what we were doing. She made some excuse about traffic, but we all know there really wasn't any, so we rolled our eyes when she wasn't looking. The train ride was really fun. While I had tried to stay in touch with everyone, even during the pandemic, by going online, it was just not the same, especially given how poor the video quality is on Zoom. It lasted a whole three hours. Mary fell asleep on the way, and Jack tried scribbling on our face with a permanent marker. He tried in the case that Mary woke up and sneezed all over him, which definitely made everyone else laugh as Jack freaked out. In case you're wondering, Mary wasn't sick or anything. It was just her allergies acting up. We got off, but there was an hour-long hike ahead of us after this. We could have rented a car or a taxi, but George wanted to stretch his legs, and I couldn't blame him given how he must have felt cooped up after all this time. Mary was a bit less keen to walk the whole way, but readily agreed when she realized she could take a bunch of pictures of the surrounding countryside, which would have been a lot harder to do while riding in a vehicle. George took a look at the sun and said, Let's try to wrap this up before sunset. He was probably saying so for my sake, but I reassured him that I had a flashlight even if it got dark. The place we were going to was an abandoned farmhouse. Part of it had collapsed, but Jack told us that it was safe. That wasn't much of a reassurance, and neither was the story that Jack told us about the place. So yeah, the story goes that this family that lived there all died mysteriously one day, he said. And then a few years later, the family who bought it afterward also died within a week of each other. Then there's this story of two men who went mis- Knock it off, Jack, George said. Jack kind of had this habit of telling us that nearly every single place we explored was haunted, usually to freak Mary out, but he swore that this time it was real and he wasn't making it up. We spent some more time wandering around the farm, and I had to say that it was quite beautiful. With our outdoor exploring done and the sun rapidly descending, we then decided to actually go inside. There was nothing overtly creepy about the place, I guess aside from what our minds invented. As it began to get dark, Mary made sure to get as many selfies as she thought she needed. George made sure that we didn't wander anywhere that could have been dangerous as always, while Jack goofed off like he usually did. I mostly spent my time watching the others. I was just happy we could hang around like this, like old times. I think it's time to go then, George said. We'd be running out of daylight any minute now. We turned to leave, but as we did, I saw Jack fall to the floor out of the corner of my eye. I turned towards him and saw that he was saying something as he writhed on the ground. Jack, this isn't funny, George said. However, I didn't think Jack was faking. I knelt down by him and realized that he was saying the song. 
It was then that the same thing happened to Mary. She fell to the floor and began writhing almost as if she was having a seizure. She kept saying something, but it was difficult to make out. All I could understand was the song over and over again. It was then that I saw it. Right there by the entrance was a pale figure. I thought it was a woman based on the jet black hair that fell to her waist. Her hair covered most of her face and she was dressed in a milk white robe. George turned my head so I was looking at him instead of her and said, Banshee. Banshee. The spirit of a woman whose wailing was an omen of death. What do we do? I asked. We need to get out, George said as he went to go help up Jack. I did the same with Mary and George was looking for an alternate exit with his eye finding a nearby window. There he said. However, the moment he said so, the figure appeared right in front of that window to block our escape. I could feel the floorboards vibrating underneath my feet due to what it was doing, and now even George fell to the ground crying and weeping. To see him, the strongest and most responsible of us in a state like this nearly made me panic, but something he said gave me strength. You're the only one of us who can stand up to that thing. I looked at the banshee. I had no idea how to get rid of one, but I'd heard that in general, evil entities, and especially the undead, hated fire. I took out Jack's lighter and lit a fallen piece of wood, gripping it in my hand as I advanced toward the ethereal creature. It had a sunken, rotting face, but I could still make out that it was surprised by the fact that I was standing and not rolling on the floor like my friends. In response to this, her mouth moved more rapidly, and at the frequency at which the floorboards under me were vibrating increased. I wouldn't let that stop me, though. I gripped the piece of burning wood and thrust it at her, lighting a part of her hair. She caught fire, as if she'd been bathed in kerosene beforehand and was immediately enveloped in flames. She disappeared after that, but not before ripping out a part of the wall. I saw the roof cave in over me, and then there was blackness. I came to some time later with my head throbbing. It was night now, and the lights of an ambulance in the distance told me that some people had come to rescue us. Someone was standing above me, but I could only faintly make out their silhouette. They were saying something, but I I couldn't make it out. Sorry, can, can you please turn on the light? I told the person. It's too dark to tell what you're saying. I realized what I was saying must have sounded insane, and so I clarified with what I said. I had an accident a few years ago. I'm, I'm completely deaf in both ears. I'm good at reading lips, though. Thankfully, everyone else survived with nothing more than a few minor injuries. The official story was that the place caved in because it was so old and none of us brought up what we had seen at the authorities. None of us would have believed them. I found out later the other members of my group began seeing images of death the moment they heard the song. Not only of themselves, but 
of close family members and friends. This completely overwhelmed them, and they were unable to do anything but listen to it. Not only that, but listening to the song was physically painful. Mary described it as like having a migraine but a thousand times worse, something she'd be familiar with given that she'd suffered from them earlier in her life. If they had listened to it for any longer, they all probably would have had something like an aneurysm and died. A banshee's wail is usually said to be an omen of death, but I think the one we ran into was far more malevolent. It didn't want to foretell our deaths. It wanted to trap us and kill us right there and then. I don't know if by burning it I destroyed it, and that means that my friends are completely safe. They seem to be perfectly fine for now, so I certainly hope. I'll take my word for it, though. I don't know if that will destroy a banshee, if you ever happen to run into one. My hearing's still the same as always, but I'm less upset about it now. After all, if it weren't for that, none of us would have gotten out there alive. But I'd certainly advise you all to be careful, especially while exploring abandoned areas. Hold his tongue tight. The nail has to go in clean, you understand? Some people think that a ghost is the spirit of someone who has died. Others think it's an echo of some past life or powerful event. And there are plenty, of course, who think they are nothing at all. I don't know that any of this is exactly right or odd as it may seem exactly wrong. Ghosts are more than just echoes. They can usually think and feel and act according to some internal drive I I don't claim to understand. Those drives and much of their overall nature is so alien that I often feel like I'm trying to grab smoke or estimate a void when I turn my mind to trying to guess why they do what they do. And what do ghosts do? Well, often they seem much like an echo. A mindless repeating sound wave that slowly fades as it travels through the rigors of time and space. They frequently seem bound into actions or messages or other loops, but given the inconsistency of this trait and the lack of comprehension as to their true goals and nature, who can really say so for sure? What is easier to say is that every ghost is bound. I can't speak as to other kinds of spirits or whatever else might lurk in the darker corners of the world, but every ghost is tied to something by an ethereal leash that prescribes the limits of their travels, and consequently, the sphere of their influence. The common cliché, of course, is a haunted house. And as with many things, a cliché is a cliché for a reason. Houses are very common a tether for ghosts. You could get two dozen people to tell you bullshit about why that is the case. Psychic energy, past trauma, unfinished business. None of them know. But it was easier to sell you something if they speak with confidence, right? The key is that ghosts, all ghosts in my experience, are tethered to something. A part of a house, a piece of land, a key or a toy or a bag of chips. They always have an anchor in the real world. Or maybe just the ones that we can notice do. 
Maybe there are billions of ghosts floating around that we can't perceive at all. All of them just wishing to be imprisoned so someone can see them watching or hear them scream. One other thing I can say with some confidence after doing this for over 20 years is this. Ghosts cannot haunt or inhabit the living. Forget what you may have seen on those cheesy movies or bad documentaries. There is some kind of natural spiritual resistance, perhaps, or ghosts just lack the ability to do it. And note that I'm saying ghosts. I make no claim as to what other entities can or cannot do. But wait, you may be thinking. What about all those stories of ghosts following a family when they move away? (laughs) My response is this. Most likely, they inadvertently carried the tether with them when they moved. Ghosts can be strangely clever, or at least it's easy to perceive their actions as such. In either case, it's not uncommon for a tether to be an object that is either intrinsic to the location or highly prized by an individual. This occurs to a degree that is grossly statistically significant, suggesting that the tether is selected rather than randomly assigned or happened upon, and that the choice is based at least on part in maintaining the potency of that audience for the haunting itself. I've never seen a roll of toilet paper become haunted, for instance, or a chip bag for that matter. That was my attempt at absurdist humor. Instead, ghosts can be tethered to things that will last and be around people. I think they not only want to be seen, they need to be. Based on research that was done in the early part of the last century, when tethers are removed from their natural environment and totally isolated for an extended period of time, the ghost bound to it fades away. Whether this means it is truly gone or just lacks the ability to haunt anyone, I couldn't say. But the salient point here is this. If the tether is removed, so is the ghost. The husband was sweaty and nervous as he glanced between his wife and me. Miss... Miss Bergenson, I... This all sounds good. Great, I mean. Raking a hand through greasy hair, he looked down at the picnic table we were sitting at. This... This thing is going to kill us if we don't get rid of it. It was bad enough when it was moving things and making noises, but when it attacked our little girl... He shook his head and went on with a shuddering breath. I thought she was going to die that night. That we all were. The wife broke in. Are you sure it's not a demon? Or something worse than a ghost? I gave the woman a smile. I'm quite sure. I don't claim expertise in any of those matters because, by their very nature, a true expert cannot exist. But I know very well what I know and what I do not. And rest assured, your problem is a ghost haunting. Nothing more or less. She swallowed and dropped her gaze, but pressed on. It... I'm not doubting your knowledge, it's just... It's gotten so violent. It... It bit me when we were pulling Maddie free that last night. 
eyes narrowed slightly as I waited until she ventured a timid glance back up. Your resistance to the idea of this being just a ghost is born out of your ignorance, I'm afraid. I've seen a ghost skin a man alive, burnt down the house with the family trapped inside, and far worse things that I won't burden you with, but I assure you that a powerful ghost is capable of being very, very destructive. I turned back to the husband dismissively. Now, my team has investigated your house, determined that a powerful malignant ghost is present and identified the tether. That's why I'm here, as my time is very limited and valuable. With your permission, my team will remove the tether and consequently the ghosts from your home this evening. In the morning, your family can return home and you won't be troubled by this again. The man was already nodding, desperate sheen in his eyes, but again, the woman pushed her way into the deal-making. <laughs> Ma'am, that sounds great, it does, but how much is this going to cost? I mean, if y'all are so good at this and your time is so valuable or whatever, how are we going to be able to pay for it? She withered slightly as I turned to her, but she didn't drop her gaze this time. My smile felt hard and brittle on my lips. It won't cost you a thing. We provide this service for free and receive our funding through other sources. Husband began to beam, but the wife's brow was still furrowed with concern. Okay, well, I mean, it's not that we aren't grateful for the help, especially for free, but it just, it all sounds too good to be true. You flew all the way here. You've got those three guys that have been staying at the house for a week with all that equipment and you don't want us to pay anything? I sniffed as I slid out from the bench. If you don't want any help, that's your prerogative. Thank you for your husband leapt up. No, no. We do. He shot a dark look back at his wife. We've just... We've been through a lot. But we can't afford to move, and I can't carry my family back to that place until it's gone. Please. Please help us. Jaw clenched, he turned again to stare at the woman. Isn't that right, Bonnie? Bonnie frowned at my smirk before giving a sullen nod. Yes. Please help if you can. He keeps fucking moving around. Jasper yanked Toby back down on the table again before glaring at Josh. I thought you fucking dosed him an hour ago. Josh held his hands out, placatingly. I did. Same dose as the last one. He pointed at the little boy lying on the table. Look at him. He's out, man. Been out for half an hour. It's the occupants, I'm telling you. And I can't dose them. Jasper muttered a curse as he shook his head. Fine, fine. Toby's comatose body lurched again, and Jasper laid on his chest as he pointed awkwardly towards the boy's feet. Brad, strap his legs tighter before he breaks something. Do you have control of the situation, Jasper? The man looked from Brad to me, the anger fading from his face only a little. We do, Miss Perkinson. We do. But this one is about full. You know how they get when we crowd them in. My honest opinion is that we pull a fresh one from the branch and start over. 
I shook my head. No. Our client has asked for seven, and seven is what they will receive. You know the number affects the potency dramatically, and I'm not in the habit of breaking my word. I glanced over at Josh. Where's the tether? Looking startled, he fumbled a small plastic bag out of his shirt pocket. Yes, ma'am. Right here. He gave a small grin. It was a framing nail between the first and second floor, right at the heart of the house. This one's smart. Nodding, I looked back down at Toby. He was small for a nine-year-old boy, but surprisingly healthy given the circumstances. It was to be expected, of course. The children at the ranch, the fresh ones, as Jasper called them, had to be fed and cared for as one might any child. But after the second or third tether was implanted, their need for sustenance declined. By five, they did little but sleep and dream with no need for the outside world. And by seven? The child's body was marked by his journey from boy to bomb. The coin lay sewn beneath the skin of his right thigh. A bit of glass from a bar in Poland jutted out of his arm. A razor blade nestled into the flesh of his calf while the filed-off point of an old weather vane lay between the knuckles of his left hand. A wood splinter behind his knee and another larger piece in the small of his back. Just one more left. Letting out an accepting grunt, Jasper waved Brad over. You heard the lady? Bring it here. As Brad stepped forward, Jasper pried open Toby's mouth. Eager to please, Brad already had the pliers at the ready. Jasper wasn't impressed or convinced. Hold his tongue tight. The nail has to go in clean, you understand? What I offer is a service. A weapon that cannot be easily traced or thwarted. You know my reputation, and the results speak for themselves. Chaos and destruction greater than any missile or assassin's bullet. But without the risk of failure, mitigation, or retaliation. The place you put this, it will be poisoned. The people there will slowly rot from the inside, their minds, their hearts. In a week, they'll be forever changed. In a month, well, <laughs> it'll be over in a month. And then, what if they just leave? You know, go somewhere else because they're scared. I stifled my irritation as I offered a smile. Reasonable concern, but unnecessary. We have prepared. It doesn't manifest as a traditional haunting. These ghosts, they're trapped somewhere they don't want to be with other similar entities they don't want to be around. They can't take out their frustration on the vessel physically. They need him alive and able to sustain him. And their overwhelming presence shuts down the body somewhat. Would possibly kill it if the entities didn't sustain him in turn. The vessel is forever asleep, protected and tormented and punished by the things he now carries in his meat and bones. That's one of the reasons we predominantly use children. It's estimated the younger vessels can survive for upwards of 50 or 60 years. The ambassador seemed unconvinced, so I went on. 
The vessel comes in a container, specifically designed to isolate him and the entities from the outside world. When you plant him where he is needed, all you need to do is remove the outer container and ensure he is left in a hidden place with at least slight airflow. They do still need to breathe, if only a little. The man frowned. Yes, yes. We know well enough how to hide them, but you haven't answered my question. How is this different than a haunted house? Won't people just dismiss it or get scared and run away? I felt my smile hardening. I have a man that works with me. Name's Jasper. He's been with me for years. Rough around the edges, but professional. Pragmatic. And not without moments of insight. I leaned across the polished desk toward the ambassador. He was saying, Why do ghosts do what they do? Because they're fucking insane. I leaned back. I call it miasma. The observable phenomenon where ghosts, when forced into close proximity, become more potent and, well, more insane, if you want to apply such terms to these things. They lose individual will and personalities. They devolve into a force more akin to radiation. It eats away at the minds and the souls of those within a certain radius, and it does so in a very insidious fashion. Not only will the afflicted not leave, they will not want to leave. They'll keep drinking poison until they can't take another drop. Crossing my legs, my smile was more earnest now. Put another way, this is a bomb you don't come back from. The man was sweating now. He'd already knew the truth or had never been retained. But like so many men, he wanted to talk. Talk and be convinced and show me how intelligent and powerful he was. And now he sat there. Out of stupid questions, it left me with the reality of a world that was much deeper and darker than I could ever truly appreciate. I... I see. He swallowed. In the inner container. Um, we must leave that on permanently, right? I glanced at my phone when it vibrated. The final payment had just gone through. Nodding, I stood to leave. I would, yes. It offers no shielding from the things in there with him, but it does offer a great deal of acoustic buffer. The ambassador raised his eyebrow. Acoustic buffer? I'd started toward the door, but I started to turn and look back at him. For the screams. He may be asleep, but our little Toby never stops screaming. The local children think I'm a witch. I'm not really sure how it happened. I never considered myself particularly witchy. Maybe a bit eccentric, I do live by myself in a small house surrounded by a wild garden. Maybe that's a little suspect. And I tend to wear long dresses, big hats, a lot of black. Oh, and there's the fact that I have a black cat. He slunk into my garden one day and has just never left me. I call her Poe. Okay, I guess I can 
kind of see where they got the idea. And I'll admit that I didn't do much to discourage it. I wouldn't have the first idea how-to anyway. What am I going to do? Wear a sign that says, Just FYI, I'm definitely not a witch. Yeah, I'm sure that'll go over well. Some of the kids were afraid of me. Some of them intrigued. A few of them laughed and jeered, but an icy glare took care of that most of the time. To be honest, it isn't something I worried about or thought of much. Not until Timothy Baker came knocking at my door. It was just a few weeks before Halloween. I remember because I'd already decorated. I had pumpkins all over the porch, cobwebs hanging over the bamboo archway that covered the path to the front door, and I even stuck a broom outside my door just to keep the kids guessing. I pulled a batch of batch-shaped pumpkin-flavored cookies out of the oven when I heard the knocking. In a minute, I shouted, pulling off my oven mitts and stepping over to the door. I was expecting the mailman or maybe Mrs. Wilford from next door, who promised to come and share her favorite pumpkin bar recipe with me sometime. Instead, it was a little boy. He had shaggy blonde hair and was wearing baggy clothing, clearly hand-me-downs from the wear and tear. He must have been nine, maybe ten, but his frame was slight, his cheeks were hollowed out. He had skinned up knees and a bruise along his left cheekbone. More importantly, his eyes were fixed down at the ground and he was trembling from head to toe. Yes? Can can I help you? I asked. He took a shaky breath. I... I'm here to... I'm here to ask a favor. I cocked my head as I stared at him. He still wouldn't look up at me. A favor? From me? I brought something, he mumbled, and I saw that, indeed, he did have a bag clutched in his hand. I read you're supposed to bring an offering when you ask a witch for help. For a moment, I was speechless, uncertain. I looked around and saw that the boy was well and truly alone. He was also terrified, and I was worried he was going to pass out on my front step. Well then, I suppose you better come inside. The boy paled even further. Did did you promise not to eat me? I smiled. I promise. Witches can't go back on promises. No, they can't. So you know you're safe then, don't you? Even so, it took a few minutes for him to gather the courage to follow me inside. By the time he did, I'd already set out a few cookies for him and a glass of milk. Okay, I said, gesturing for him to sit down. Let's start with this. What's your name? Timothy Baker. And what is it you'd like me to do? He gulped and set his bag on the table. I... I want you to kill my brother. Took a deep breath and for one long second didn't say anything this was bad I shouldn't have asked the kid inside I shouldn't have gotten involved you know fratricide is frowned upon in most places Timothy frowned what's that? 
shook my head. Never mind. Why do you want your brother dead? He flinched a little, but he didn't deny it. He also started to nibble on a cookie as he gathered his thoughts. I sensed Poe coming into the other room, her twitching tail giving her way as she slunk under the table. He's a bully, said Timothy. Is he the one who gave you that bruise? He nodded. Look, Timothy, I cast around the room, hoping the words I needed would appear out of thin air. They didn't. I know this must be hard for you. It sounds like you're going through a tough time, but killing him isn't a solution to your problem. It's not just me, he rushed to say. Jake is... Mean. Meaner than anyone I've ever known. It's not just me he hurts. He hurts other people, kids at school, and animals, sometimes. As if on cue, Poe jumped up from the floor into Timothy's lap, settling herself down as the boy began to pet her on instinct. Do your parents know about what he's doing? I asked. Timothy's face twisted a little. They don't see most of it. I tried telling him, but they just don't listen. I think some other parents did too, because Jake's been bullying other kids so bad. But they just ignore it. I don't know why they won't do something. We sat in silence for a few minutes. Timothy ate his cookies and slowly began to relax in his chair. Poe started to purr from her perch. Have you tried to talk to a counselor at school about this? I asked. Timothy shook his head. You don't get it. There's no more time. I have to do something now. For the first time since he arrived at my door, Timothy looked right in my eye. Mom's pregnant. I'm going to have a little sister, and I'm really scared that Jake's going to kill her. Before I could respond to that, Timothy was dumping out the contents of his bag onto my kitchen table. I noted a few leaves, some rocks, and a couple of wriggling worms trying vainly to find their way into some dirt. Poe was watching with great interest. I, um, I wasn't sure what witches like. I read some stuff online, but some of the things seemed hard to get. He was turning red all the way up to the tips of his ears. This is... Great, I said, while a voice in my head sighed. Where exactly did I go wrong with my life? The boy looked at me expectantly, and I realized he was waiting for me to say something. To accept or to turn him down, to fix things. Because that's what adults do, right? They fix things. And who better to ask than someone who had magic at their fingertips? I made a decision right then and there against all the clamoring in my brain and based off only a little flutter in my heart that says he needs help and he has no one else to turn to. Alright. I'll take care of it. Jasmine Lysette, you are an idiot. I walked through town, my brain pounding away at what appeared to be an unsolvable riddle. Wondering why I'd agreed to help in the first place. Okay. Let's do it this way. Let's start with what we know. 
based on Timothy's accounts and what I'd gleaned from paying attention to the neighborhood kids after his visit, Jake Barker was a bully at best and an abusive shit stain at worst. Timothy's parents had already proved to be useless, so going to them was out of the question. This left me with very few options. I could try and contact the school's guidance counselor, but it would seem suspicious coming from a complete stranger with no children in the school. The police? No, I had no evidence. No reason for them to take me seriously. Hey, witch bitch! I had barely a second to react before I was knocked off balance. A sharp pain radiated from my right shoulder blade. I went down hard and landed on my hands and knees on the pavement. A boy rode by on his bike, skidding to a stop in front of me. Jake Baker. Why was I not surprised? He had a rock in his hand and a bag full of stones thrown over his shoulder. I realized with shock that he'd actually hit me with a rock. Hope you're ready for Halloween, bitch. Something's coming your way. He spit at me and rode off, laughing and shouting. I watched adults and other children dart out of his way as he went. I sat there on the ground for a moment, stunned. Then I slowly stood up, my brain coming back online. An idea crystallized in the back of my head, something dreadful but effective. I didn't anticipate too many children, given my reputation. Plus, I'd done a little redecorating in my yard. I turned my entirety property into a makeshift cemetery complete with skeletons, ghosts, and headstones. I'd scattered patches of dirt here and there, stuck zombie hands in them, really went the extra mile to make it look authentic. As fabulous as it looked, I was sure the children would find it a bit too daunting. I was especially proud of my jack-o'-lantern display at the rightmost edge of my yard, pushed right up against the tall wooden fence. I'd carved dozens of jack-o'-lanterns, placed them both on headstones and all over the ground. Their candles fluttered in the breeze, but stubbornly remained lit. Poe tried to swat at a few of them before I banished her back into the house. My predictions turned out to be correct. Only a few kids were brave enough to come up to the door, mostly accompanied by their parents. It was a quiet night, until the sun fully set and it was too late to be out trick-or-treating. I turned the porch light off and went back into the house, but I stayed up late that night, sitting downstairs and reading quietly. Enjoying the chill of the air contrasted by the warmth of my fireplace. I heard him coming up the path at about one in the morning. He wasn't very quiet. He wasn't trying to be. I wondered to myself if he was hoping to be caught, if he wanted me to come outside to confront him. He was shit out of luck, if that's what he was thinking. I listened for a while, trying to place the sounds I heard. That. He threw something at the house. And there, he turned over the candy bucket I'd left on the porch for wayward souls that ventured out late into the night. Then I heard him smashing the pumpkins. And then I smiled. It didn't take long after that until I heard a heavy thump. And then, silence. I waited for a while after that, a good 20 minutes, just to teach him a lesson. 
Then, with a sigh, I stood up from my chair, grabbed my flashlight, and walked outside. There were still a few pumpkins left. They gave off just enough light to warn me of the edges of the hole in my yard. I stepped to the edge and shined the flashlight inside. It had taken me days to dig that hole deep enough for my purpose. Of course, there's only so far down you can dig on your own, so I needed a little help. A few sharpened wooden stakes stuck into the base of the pit did well enough. Jake didn't seem to think so, though. He was lying there, pinned right through, blood seeping into the dirt. He was coughing a little, dragging air into his lungs, but not enough to scream. I wondered if that was due to shock or if he'd managed to puncture a lung. He was so bloody by then that I couldn't quite tell where he'd all been punctured. You know, I said, grabbing my shovel from a nearby skeleton, if you just skipped the pumpkins, you'd probably already be on your way home by now. His lips were pursing, opening, snapping shut. He was trying desperately hard to say something. Must have been important. I took a shovel full of dirt that I'd spread nearby as a part of a makeshift graveyard, of course, and tipped it into the hole. It rained down on his head and he sputtered, trying to cough it out of his mouth. But somehow, I knew you just wouldn't be able to resist. You little shitbags never do. Awfully lucky for me that you're the only one who was pathetic enough to trash a pumpkin display on Halloween night. Why, we're the only ones out here, you and I. He twitched a little on the ground, but not much. He was losing too much blood and the fight was going out of him needed to make this quick. I hope this is as painful as I suspect it to be, I said as I sat the flashlight down and started shoveling the dirt into the hole. If you ever tried to scream, I never heard it. Nearly a year later, another knock came on my door. It was almost Halloween once again, and I was busy carving jack-o'-lanterns. I decided to make my yard pumpkin-themed that year. I was going to have lit pumpkins all over the yard. I expected many more children that time around, so I wanted everything to look perfect. It's funny, within the last year, the children in town seemed to have a change of heart about me. They still thought I was a witch, of course, but now they seemed to have decided that I was a good witch. They'd come and play in my yard after school, more often than not bringing along little treats for Poe. I always had treats for them in return. I got to know the local parents, too. So it wasn't surprising when the knocking came at my door, but I was a little surprised to see who was standing there, with apple-red cheeks and a dazzling smile. Timothy Baker, I said, my own smile growing to match his. It's been quite some time since I've seen you. Why don't you come in? He came in right behind me that time, a bounce in his step that hadn't been there before. He set himself down at the table and began tracing the grinning face on one of the pumpkins. I don't know how you did it, but you did. Did I do something? I hummed, pouring some hot apple cider and grabbing a few cookies for the boy. Can't say I remember. That's okay, he said, his grin showing off a missing tooth. I won't tell anyone your secret. But I brought you something as a thank you. 
He set a manila envelope on the table. Don't open it till I'm gone, he warned. All right, I said. How's your baby sister? She's great. Her name's Allison. She'll turn one this December. We chatted for a little bit longer before he got up to go. Bye. See you on Halloween. He dashed down the front path and I watched him go, my eyes drifting over to a patch of green that was just a little fresher than the rest. Soon it would all begin to grow brittle and gray as the snow came, but for now, everything hung in the balance between life and death. I turned back inside and tore open the envelope. A small ornament dropped into my palm, clearly handmade from clay. It was a happy, grinning jack-o'-lantern. Not for the first time, I wondered how much Timothy had guessed of the truth. With a smile, I hung the little bauble by my window and turned back to my own pumpkins. After all, there were only a few days left, and everything had to be right. Happy Halloween.